I can't see that. There we go. Hi. Those of you who don't know me, I'm Wheezy, one of the pastors here at Summit Ridge. This is a grapevine. Yes, it is. So the last several weeks, we've been talking about the various identities of Jesus. And we've talked about how he's the bread of life and the light of the world and the gate to the sheepfold, the resurrection and the life, the good shepherd. Jesus has lots of wonderful metaphors about how good and how wonderful he is and how good and wonderful his father is and how we're part of that. Today, we're going to be talking about the true vine. So let's listen to the scripture. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you, because no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown in the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. So my command is this, love each other as I have loved you, because greater love has no one than that they lay down their life for their friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not understand his father's business, his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends, because everything I've learned from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I have appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father can give you whatever you ask in my name. So this is my command. Love each other. So why a vine? It's kind of a strange metaphor. Well, the point of a grapevine is to produce fruit. Fruit to nourish people and make them glad. Fruit that tastes good and has seeds and reproduces. Fruit is for good. Now what is this fruit that we're supposed to be producing? Well, we all know the answer to that. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's truth and justice and mercy. It's goodness. That is God's glory. And I know 
that you're, you guys are like me. Sometimes you're thumbing through YouTube and you come across one of those videos that the, the tagline is always, Restore Your Faith in Humanity. And it's always, you know, a cop stopping traffic so ducks can cross the road or somebody helping somebody in a wheelchair to stand up for the first time or somebody getting glasses that lets them see color for the first time. It's goodness. And as cheesy as it is, we have to admit that we are moved by it. We do click on those videos and we do watch them and we do like them, cheesy as they are. Because even if you don't know God, it matters to be reminded that goodness is good and we want it. God repeatedly uses a vine in Scripture as his symbol for his people, because his people are supposed to be producing goodness to nourish the world. They're a vine. They're supposed to be doing fruit. Also, the vine is often used in the Bible as a symbol of the Messiah, the one who's really going to bear good fruit, because even though God's people are supposed to be producing fruit, they're kind of not. They sort of fall flat on that. In fact, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 3.10. He says the axe is already at the, the root of the tree. Any tree that doesn't produce good fruit is going to be chopped down and thrown in the fire. So God really is not interested in us just standing around not producing goodness. In order for the world to see God's glory and worship his goodness... We need the vine that can be depended on, that can be relied on to bear that good fruit. It turns out that vine is God himself. Jesus is God. Jesus is the true vine. Jesus bears the good fruit. So, if we're the branches, what does the vine give to the branches? This, this is a relationship here that's, that's even closer than the relationship of a sheep to the shepherd. It's even closer than the relationship of a child to their father. The branches are absolutely, totally, 100% dependent on the life of the vine. They are the same being. Jesus says, if you remain in me, and that word remain can be translated as live in me, stay in me, Abide in me. I love that word abide. It means set up housekeeping right there and never leave. He says, if you live in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. Now, because of our little six-year-old selves, you know, that's where we go right to. That's what I want the vine to do for me is just answer all my prayers and give me whatever I want. Now, we're all mature Christians and we know that that's quite not how it seems to work out. And we have this, this idea that we can be praying in Jesus' name and that'll make it happen. You know, Lord, I pray this and this and this and this in Jesus' name, amen. But how many of you are parents? Stick a hand up. Lots, okay. Would you, would you say to any six-year-old child you know, ask whatever you want for your birthday and I'll get it for you, whatever. Just lay it on the line, tell me what you want. Of course not. The child's going to ask, you know, for something that's going to kill it, you know? Or, or what about a policeman going to the donut shop and saying, give me a donut in the name of the law? Well, you know, you can only do in the name of the law if you're doing what the law requires. 
You can't just score a donut that way, right? You score a donut with $1.75. So, the only way that it can become safe for God to say, ask whatever you want and I'll do it for you, is that our will has to become conformed to God's will. Our character has to become like Jesus' character. We have to be formed in the image of Christ so that what we're asking is what God wants done. And remember, God is all good. He's not this tyrant who, you know, guess what I want and then I'll do it. It's, it's learn what is good. Desire the good. And I'm going to make it happen. And God's very, very plain about this. You know, he says in the Old Testament, my ways are not your ways. Your thoughts are not like my thoughts. As, as high as the heavens are above the, the land, that's how high my thoughts are from yours. So we can't just think of what we want and expect it to be in line with God's. We have to grow into the character of Jesus. And when we are living fully in Jesus, attached to the vine, drawing our life from the vine, gradually our character does become conformed to Jesus. Our ego gets pruned, our fear gets clipped off, our hatred gets corrected and pruned away, and our will gradually becomes like the will of Christ. And one thing that really, really helps this to happen is that sap of love flowing in through us, that bone-deep, irrevocable knowledge that I am the beloved of God, and so are you, really helps us to relax and let go of our stuff and become like Jesus because we can trust him. So as we become Christ-like, Jesus can begin to say to us, I'm no longer calling you a servant because a servant doesn't understand what they've been commanded to do. They just do it because they have to. Now I'm calling you friends because everything the Father has given me, I've given you. Now we're on the same team. We're on the same page. We understand the same things. We value the same things. And we want the same things. That way, our prayers are always answered yes and amen in Jesus. And I can sort of feel the yeah buts floating up from the back of my head and the backs of yours. I can see them from here. Yeah, but what about, and what about, well, I've got great news for you. Rob Wilson and Barb Hall and Dwayne Etter are healed. They are healed. The answer was yes, they're fine. Amen? All right. Okay, so the answer is always yes when we're asking in line with Jesus, even if we don't see it yet. It's yes. It's yes later. Or yes this way, but not that way. Or yes, you'll see. Or yes, more than you could possibly have dreamt to ask for. So here's one of my yeah buts. What happens to us when we take our life from the vine? Jesus' description sounds a little grim, frankly. There's that gardener person, you know. You kind of have to wonder what's going to go on. And it does require a deep breath. The vine provides life and joy and fruit, but there's the gardener. The first thing that happens to us is we get grafted. When you're grafting a branch into a vine, you have to cut a hole in the vine. 
So you have raw, sappy, wounded wood. And then you take the branch that you're going to graft in and you have to cut that branch, the butt of the branch, so that it's raw and sappy and wounded. And you jam the two together and you bind them up. It's kind of ironic in a way to me that that Jesus uses this metaphor of the vine because you think about it, our woundedness, our brokenness, our not okayness gets jammed into Jesus' wounds. And that's how we grow together. It's not our, our I'm fine jammed into Jesus, I'm perfect. Those don't jam together. His blood has to be able to flow into our blood. And the graft needs some outside support. That's kind of what the church does. The church is a bandage that gets wrapped around here to hold the new graft onto the vine until they can grow together. It's kind of a neat little thing. And even though we're grafted in, though, we have to choose to grow into the vine. We have to choose to let the sap of the vine flow through us. Jesus is very clear that that's a choice. Sometimes it's not a real easy choice, but when we get used to it, there it is. The second thing that happens to us after we're grafted is we get pruned. That's the really scary part. The word pruning can also mean cleaning. Because left to itself, left to itself, a vine grows wild. It gets leggy and long. It strangles other plants. It gets bugs in it. It doesn't do well, and the fruit becomes small and stingy. So part of being pruned is you have to cut off diseased areas. Sorry, dear. Ow. That hurt. Left to itself, a vine produces a good deal of unproductive growth. It just grows and grows and grows and grows and nothing much happens. There's a little bit of fruit. But, and this is good, you know, I heard you flinch. I heard you flinch. I heard you think that's not fair. There's a little fruit on here. You should reward that branch. God is rewarding that branch. It's the best thing for that branch. Because old wood, this stuff here, doesn't produce fruit. Okay? Each year the gardener has to prune back like 90% of the vine. Ow! Because the part that bears fruit is going to grow from here next year. Part of what the pruning does for us is keep us fresh and flexible and always pushing out new growth. That's part of what God's pruning does for us. And yeah, it hurts. Yeah, it's scary to have like, you know, 90% removed. But then the new growth comes out and a whole bunch more fruit comes. It's really kind of cool. Also, that word pruning can mean lifting up. Sometimes, you know, we're growing wrong direction, scraping the ground down here, and God needs to lift us up. 
Maybe we're so discouraged that we just can't face the day. So God sends somebody to tie us up. That's part of being pruned. And so is this. Do you ever know of somebody who's been in church their whole life, really, as long as you've known them, but frankly, they're just as crabby and just as proud and just as selfish now as they were 20 years ago when you first met them. They haven't improved that much. You look for the fruit of righteousness and goodness, and it's just not there. Well, Jesus says, that branch isn't remaining in him. There's no, no growing together, no life of the vine in this thing. Gone. On the fire. Jesus doesn't water rocks and he doesn't cultivate weeds and he doesn't put up with complacency. So, the short version of that, scary demonstration, God grafts us into himself and then he cleans us and disciplines us and guides our growth so that we can bear the fruit that will nourish the world and show his glory. So what is this fruit that we're supposed to produce? Jesus calls it fruit that lasts. Did you ever like reach into your fruit bowl in the kitchen and pick up a nice apple and start to take a bite and then suddenly realize that your fingers are sinking into the back of it? And it's like, ah, natural fruit doesn't last. It's good for a little while and then it kind of gets gnats. It doesn't last. So obviously the fruit that Jesus is talking about is supernatural fruit. Jesus is looking us eye to eye and saying, bear supernatural fruit. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I'm like, what? Really? Only God can bear supernatural fruit. And the only way that's going to happen to me is if God is flowing through me and pushing that fruit out through my life. And again, what is that fruit? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, courage, mercy, justice. Does anybody here want to produce that fruit? If God could just shove that out of you and have it pop out all over the place for the world to see and enjoy and be nourished by, would you want that? Yeah. Duh! It's worth a little pruning. Wouldn't you say? All right. So, Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. And I... One of my little yeah buts that pops up in the back of my head is, well, I do all kinds of stuff and I'm not always sure that I'm doing it with you. And that's kind of a point because it could look spiritual. We can do all kinds of things. We can't do things that will last, that will be his spirit without him. Now, you know the story. You can get a federal grant. This is a quote I found. You can get a federal grant, put on a huge Christian conference with media splash, get interviewed on all the Christian radio shows, get a million subscribers to your sermon podcast, write a bestseller for God or write 12 of them, start a church in your garage that grows to take over the county. But if it's not loving people the way Jesus loves you, it's just a car alarm in the night. It means nothing. Nobody even turns around. 
When it comes from us, the fruit that it bears is pride and idolatry and bitterness and exhaustion. doesn't matter how good it looks. Here's the good news, though. Jesus says, if you remain in me, if you're living in me, dwelling in me, my life is flowing through you, you will bear much fruit. That's a promise. Fruit bearing is inevitable with abiding. One of the ways that I love to think about this is that obedience, <laughs> fruit bearing is a long obedience in the same direction. It's not giving up. It's being pruned back and saying, fine, I'm going to lay down more wood. I'm going to produce more branches. I'm going to make more fruit. This is part of the way God loves me. A long obedience in the same direction. I love that. It's impossible to bear fruit if you're not attached to the vine. It's impossible to not bear fruit if you are attached to the vine. That's the good news. And it's easy. God produces the fruit in us. Easy. And it has a cost. We get pruned. So there is the cost. So how do you remain in Jesus? I kind of picture Jesus sometimes uh, in the context. He's, he's talking to his disciples about I'm the true vine as they're leaving the Last Supper to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. This is his last chance to really get hold of them. I've never raised anybody myself, but you parents will know the feeling of taking your child to the first day of school and stepping back and hoping they're going to be okay. And I kind of get that sense of Jesus similar to that parent. He knows that his disciples' lives are about to get all upside down and backwards. The world is going to change. They are not going to know what hit them. And he's standing on the sidewalk going, please, please, please remain in me. Please dwell in me. Don't get lost in there. Because the world without him is death. So Jesus tells them how to remain in him. Because that's the next big question. Like, how do we do this? Well, there's two ways to remain in Jesus. The first one is to obey. Jesus says, you're already clean because of the word that I've been speaking to you. He's already been pruning them. By his teaching, he has already been rebuking their sin and inspiring holiness in them and promoting their growth and guiding their thoughts. He's already been encouraging and strengthening them. They're already cleaned up. They're ready to grow and bear fruit. Love one another as I have loved you, as the Father has loved me. That's big love. And all through the Bible, all the way from Genesis to maps, as Dan likes to say, there's always this connection between love and obedience. And again, it's not the obedience of a slave who has to obey because they don't want to get beaten. It's the obedience of love. I love you. I trust you. I'm going to do what you say because what else could I possibly do? Love and obedience are almost the same thing. When Jesus is talking about it, it might as well be the same thing. For all I know, you know, we may wind up in heaven and God say, yep, it was the same thing. If I command you to love, what's the difference between loving and loving? 
So obedience. What happens when I know that I'm the beloved of God and so are you? How hard is obedience? Suddenly I'm so relaxed, I'm full of trust, I'm full of energy. I would love to obey. The second way to remain in Jesus, and this is going to be a little harder to talk about, kind of a little bit uncomfortable, especially with the election that's just been happening. The second way is to don't be attached to a false vine. We've got to be absolutely certain that who we're attached to is Jesus and not just something that sort of looks like a Jesus painting. Jesus was not talking to the scribes and Pharisees and chief priests and Sadducees at this moment. He was talking to his disciples. But that group of people, part of the reason that they missed the boat with Jesus and didn't recognize him as being God was because they were getting their identity, their vine that they were attached to was, we are Israelites, or we're worshiping in the temple, or we're keeping all the traditions. And they were kind of, they wouldn't have said it this way, but they were acting as if they believed that that was God, that that was the true vine. All the traditions and the religion. And here's the scary part. They had trouble switching from their religion to attaching to Jesus because he's God. We have the same trouble. It's hard for us to realize that church is not the true vine. It's not. It's holy. God lives in the church. God has ordained the church, but the church is not the vine. Even the Bible, the living word of God, isn't quite the vine. Jesus is the vine. Jesus is what makes the church holy. Jesus is what makes the Bible live. Jesus is the vine. And it can be really seductive to detach from Jesus and attach to my version of Christianity, my interpretation of the Bible instead. And we've seen how that pans out. Here's the thing. We all want to make things right in the world. And we all have our agenda for how that's going to happen, especially in an election year. But the problem is, when we do it our way, we make everything worse, no matter how Christian it is. We always make it worse. We become that secular cliche of a Christian. The born-again, Bible-believing, church-going, necklace-wearing, bumper-sticker, posting, correctly voting, who doesn't love who exercises their Christianity by being right instead of by being redemptive, bearing bitter fruit, poisoning the world. It's vital that we be attached to the true vine who is Jesus, only Jesus, and nothing but Jesus. The only way to make things right in the world is by remaining in Jesus, the true vine, and producing the fruit of goodness. That's how God is glorified. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for making us literally part of you. We ask that you would bring your spirit through us and bear fruit.